0: life's everyday mystery solved the dr joe show on cjad 800
1: well we have just watched uh, one of the great performances in sports history with uh, tiger woods winning the uh, masters for the fifth time coming back after being away for 14 years back operations personal problems all kinds of things and the tiger is back it's really quite a fascinating story and that prompts me to ask a question about uh, golf what do antique golf ball collectors have in common with root canals what do antique golf ball collectors yes there are such people what do they have in common with root canals But right now, I want to talk a little bit about plastics. But I guess I should first mention the number to call if you have an answer, 514-790-0800. 514-790-0800. You can also text us here at 514-800. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about plastics. And you know, uh, just about every... public discussion of plastics or or articles or books that are dedicated to uh, plastics for for the general public begin with some sort of uh, description of the uh, scene from The Graduate, where young Dustin Huffman has just uh, graduated university and his parents hold a party for him And he's corralled by a friend of the family in the corner of the room who puts his arms around young Dustin and uh, whispers into his ear, plastics. Because this was the 1960s, it was the age of plastics. And they were uh, being... Basically, introduced to the public in all kinds of ways. Uh, there were all kinds of packaging materials, curtains, carpets, fabrics, everything made of plastic. And no one said boo about uh, plastics when anyone, you know, talked about them in a, a positive way. Well, things uh, have changed somewhat, haven't they? Today, people are vying to have lives that are devoid of plastic. I guess merit some sort of a a discussion. Uh, I'll tell you the truth. I've always uh, admired the ingenuity that goes into plastic production, and uh, uh, I think anyone who is in chemistry uh, is fond of of the science. Uh, You know, we... uh, like to recount the story of Wallace Carruthers and his discovery of of nylon, and uh, uh, he was also instrumental in discovery of polyester material of which our, our bottles are now made and there's no question about the contribution of plastics to to industry or transportation systems or food production methods or medical equipment or communication systems or computers. They all rely on plastics. As I sit here, you know, I'm just looking around. Uh, I have a keyboard in front of me that's made of of plastic. Uh, the computer uh, is made of plastic. You know, the the uh, at least the, the major body part of it, and so are most of its uh, components. I'm looking at a telephone that's made of of plastic. A clock that's made of of uh, of plastic. Uh, the wall covering is made of plastic. There's a plastic board on the wall. I mean, everything I'm looking at here is a made of plastic, and sitting right in front of me is a bottle of water that someone left in here. I can tell you that it wasn't me who brought that bottle into the studio because I'm against buying bottled water of of any kind. Uh, there's another side to the plastic story, of course, and uh, that's the reason that I'm opposed to the bottled water. Uh Plastics can be formulated for specific needs, uh, as I've just, you know, detailed. Unfortunately, though, there's another side, and that side is is that the very properties that make plastics so useful, their lack of reactivity, their longevity, uh, those are the properties that present difficulties when it comes to their disposal. The world is being overrun by plastic waste. And, you know, we've all seen the disturbing pictures of that turtle with a straw up its nose, uh, the plastic-filled stomach of an albatross, you know, a poor bird that died and was cut open. Then we've seen other birds entangled in the six-pack rings. Uh, We've seen pictures of beaches covered with plastic and all kinds of bags and bottles and discarded toys and condoms and, and tampons and all kinds of plastic things. And then there is the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And that, of course, has been spotlighted by the media. What is it? Well, it is this gigantic collection of floating trash between California and Hawaii. And this is one big floating patch, estimated to contain about 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic. Total weight of some 80,000 metric tons, covers an area larger than Texas. The, uh, contrary to the image, though, that sometimes is created by the media, uh, there are no visible islands of trash in this patch that, that you can walk on. And no, you cannot see the garbage from uh, outer space. Because of that 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic, about 95% is made up of what we call microplastic. And those are the minute particles into which plastics eventually break down. There are all kinds of concerns with these. Uh, these tiny particles can be ingested by sea life, by fish, etc. And since people eat fish, we eventually end up ingesting some of these. And uh, what is the issue? It goes beyond just the fact that you know it's kind of unsavory to think about eating plastic. These tiny bits, these microplastics, have a very large surface area. And to that surface area, they can bind or adsorb a variety of chemicals, pesticides, for example, other pollutants that are found in the water. Uh, They stick to these microplastics and therefore potentially enter our our body. And while press reports have focused on bottles and food packaging and, and plastic bags and straws, and indeed these can be found in the patch, Believe it or not, the most prevalent items are not those, but they are abandoned fishing nets. And some of these are purposely discarded. Some, of course, are accidentally lost during fishing. And the nettings are a huge problem because they can entangle whales and seals and turtles, often suffocating them. And most of the plastic that uh, ends up in the ocean comes from uh, from Asia, from China, Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam. Why? Because as affluence increases in Asia, so does the popularity of plastic-wrapped foods and drinks. And unfortunately, trash collection has not kept up with the pace of the production of these items. And very often in these places, trash collection is just non-existent which means that plastic bags, bottles, and food containers end up in waterways from where they find their way into the ocean. Well, of course, just because the plastic waste mostly comes from Asia doesn't let us off the hook. Uh, We're not good at recycling. Less than 10% of our plastics get recycled. And while it is true that not all plastics can be economically recycled, The one that is used to make bottles, polyethylene terephthalate, or PET as it's abbreviated, uh, it can be. And these should never end up in a landfill. Better yet, they should not be purchased. Here is a stunning statistic for you. Every second in the world, 20,000 plastic bottles are purchased. That has a huge environmental cost. Bottled water in particular is an environmental disaster, given that it is mostly unnecessary especially in the developed world. We have good quality tap water here. The oil needed to make raw plastic. The oil needed to supply the energy needed to convert it into a bottle. The energy needed to fill that bottle with water, to transport it, to refrigerate it, amounts to a volume of oil about one-quarter the content of that bottle. In addition to this, it takes twice as much water to produce the plastic bottle as the water it contains. So next time, think about whether or not you really want to buy that plastic water bottle. Take the bottle, get rid of it, recycle it. Buy yourself a bottle that can be refilled. Refill it from the tap. If you're not happy with the the taste of tap water, you can buy a Brita-type filter. But there's no point in buying bottled water. We're going to check traffic. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show, CJ800, New Stock Radio in Montreal.
0: (music) Science you can use. The Doctor Joe Show on CJAD eight hundred.
1: Okay, I asked a question about uh, why anti golf ball collectors may have an interest in root canals, and um, let's go to Mary Claire. Is that Mary Claire? Let's try this one, Mary Claire. Yes, I hi
2: answer. <laughs> okay. I think the answer is rubber.
1: Maybe you got to be a bit more specific.
2: Okay, so what you call antique golf balls, I'm going to go back to the 50s and 60s when I was a child. I remember finding out that golf balls were made up of a lot of twisted, like a spring rubber kind of elastics. I never saw one cut open, but my cousins had told me that. And then later in my early twenties, I had to have a couple of root canals. And I think in those days now, I don't know if those rut, they used rubber tips to keep your tooth in place after they removed the nerve. I know it was rubber tips.
1: Yeah, uh, no, well, you're, you're kind of skirting around it, but, but, uh, I'm looking for a bit, uh, more detail, but you're, you're close. So keep listening. Maybe someone will get the details. Thanks. Okay. Let's go to uh, Jerry. Yes, hi. Hi. Uh
0: well, uh, the comedy uh, element is got aperture which is used in golf balls and what we dentists still use to uh, seal root canals.
1: Exactly, exactly. I should I should have said that dentists are not allowed to answer that question. Oh, sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, John. Okay, what uh, what do you say about uh, you know these new techniques of, of of filling cavities without having to drill the, the uh, sort of a chemical filling of cavities?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. We we had a conference on that just on Friday, actually, from a, a professor, at the University of uh, Montreal. Uh, you know, some of them will dissolve some of the enamel in the beginning, and then use uh, the main uh, component is something called glass ionomer. Yeah. Which is a very old material but has been really worked on a lot and uh, works very well. Its big advantage is that it will uh, release a bit of fluoride but it will also charge and discharge fluoride as it's being used with fluoride toothpaste.
1: So, so it, it's uh, I mean, it's tested technology, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and now there's uh, even something. So the drilling without is even they're using silver diamine fluoride. It's maybe also what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. So
0: in the children where you don't have to do any anesthesia or anything, you would use this. Its main disadvantage is that it stains incredibly. It becomes very black. And I was just reading an article about it last week uh, stating that they have a – it's an Australian company, so – they use an iodine flush on it afterwards, and you rinse, and apparently the stain is minimal.
1: Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess staining yeah. staining is not very good.
0: Well, no, you know, on the back teeth, not a big deal. Yeah. But, uh, you know, of course, what the silver nitrate, it's, it's the you know it'll be black as yes. On the back teeth, not a problem, but it has to be applied several times, uh, probably two to three times in the year, uh, to be able to stop the decay process. But it what, looks promising. Good.
1: What, what do you find about patients coming in and asking for white fillings instead of amalgam?
0: Well, again, uh, the teacher was, first question she said uh, was, does anybody still do amalgam? And I would say that uh, 99% of dentists there were there said yes. Uh, it is indicated in many situations where you can't keep an absolutely dry field. Yeah. Uh, it resists for 45 years. Uh, I've got some in my own mouth at 45 years. As you probably well know, it's been studied for over 120 years. Yeah, uh, The association with mercury is something which I think if somebody tells you to remove your fillings, you should be checking your wallet and not your kidneys.
1: <laughs> Very good. Uh, I think also, though, to, to be fair, the white fillings have certainly improved.
0: Well, absolutely. But the problem is, is people will come in and tell you that they want a biologic filling, and you and I both know that there's nothing biological about methyl methacrylate and bis GMA and
1: <laughs> yes, and and you know. uh, the fact is that you know sometimes the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know, That's and right. uh, some of these everything the, the white everything fillings
0: in an actually comes from the earth. Doesn't yeah,
1: it? well, the white fillings are very complex. They're very interesting chemically, yeah. but uh, you know they they do have bisphenol A. And, I mean, there's all the, the concerns, which I, I, I think are also, you know, overdone about bisphenol A, some but, but. but of but,
0: those, uh, Dr. Joe, some of them don't not have bisphenol A anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know there's all kinds of white fillings and, yes. yeah. I mean, dentistry is, is, you know, uh, an absolutely fascinating area of chemistry.
0: Absolutely. Uh, okay. That's why I'm a big fan of yours.
1: Okay. Well, thanks a lot. That was fun. And, and, uh, I'm going to give a bit more information about gutta percha. Excellent. Okay. Have all good all afternoon. All right. So, yeah, the Gouda Purchase, a rubber-like material from the sap of the sapodilla trees of East Asia, and it was used to make golf balls, and today it is used to fill root canals, teeth after the diseased pulp has been removed. It is a harder material than rubber, and it's more resistant to to water, I it's like rubber rubber is not that resistant to water, but gutta percha is. The difference in properties is very interesting. You know what it comes down to? It comes down to molecular structure. Uh, Both rubber and gutta percha are composed of of polymers, giant molecules, and they're built of repeating uh, small units with isoprene units. Those are the monomers. But the isoprene monomers are joined together in a slightly different way, and that causes the difference in properties between rubber and, and gutta percha. Uh, for those of you who are chemically astute, the double bonds have the cis configuration in rubber and trans in uh, gutta percha. Now, the golf balls. Uh, yeah, there are people who collect them and they love to get their hands on any made roughly between 1850 and 1900. That's when gutta percha balls replaced leather balls that were stuffed with feathers. The earliest gutties, as they were called, were handmade from pieces of gutta percha which were softened by heating in water. Eventually, a skilled gutty maker was able to produce six dozen or more balls a day, 25 times what a feather ball maker could turn out. This meant that the price of golf balls dropped and consequently lower-income golfers could afford to play the game. But today, low-income Earners can't afford to collect gutta percha golf balls. Although some can be found for a few hundred dollars, hand hammered balls produced between 1855 and 1875 have been auctioned off for as much as $28,000. For that, you could even get a root canal. And when you get one, you'll know the smell. That's isoprene being released when gutta percha is heated. And uh, it may smell familiar. Human sweat, believe it or not, also contains isoprene from the breakdown of vitamin A. So I suppose I could have asked for the relationship between root canals and sweat, but uh, then that would not have uh, allowed me to talk about uh, tiger's uh, phenomenal achievement today at the age of what is say 43 coming back to, uh, to win the masters. Uh, amazing. And uh, now you know a bit more about golf balls, gutta percha, and their relationship to root canals. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society. I sit with you here Sunday afternoons chatting about all kinds of interesting things. And uh, right now, some of those interesting things are going to appear in the news, uh, which we are going to check. And uh, after that, we will be right back. You're listening to CJD 800, Newstalk Radio in Montreal. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on
0: CJAD 800.
1: Another question for you. Chang and Eng, the original Siamese twins, born in 1811, became famous, exhibiting themselves uh, around the world because uh, they were joined, and boy, that was something spectacular to see In the Victorian era, uh, such things were very often uh, exhibited. Even the elephant man uh, made money by exhibiting uh, himself. Whenever um, the twins came to a town to put on their show, which basically was... Uh, on stage, showed how they walked around, how they ran, how how they did things. Uh, physicians became very interested and asked them if they could do certain experiments. In one case, a physician uh, asked, to, asked Chang if he could feed him some asparagus. And he fed the asparagus to Chang and not to Eng. What was he trying to find out? So what was the physician trying to find out when he fed asparagus to Chang one of the two Siamese, Siamese uh, twins. No, the answer to that, you give us a call, 514 790 0800. But right now, I know that Joan has been patiently waiting. Hi, Joan.
2: Hi there. I was at the pet store, food store this week, and they said there's cat water, just like a sample, but it's cat water, and it's marked urinary formula, and it's marked a perfectly balanced pH for cats. And then it uh, helps promote normal degree of acidity in urine to keep the urinary tract healthy and prevent urinary problems. And then it's distilled natural spring water with L-chlorine. And and the analysis, do you want to know the analysis? I want
1: to know what it says the pH is.
2: pH, uh, pH, pH. Oh, come on, I have to use a magnifying glass, it's so small. Uh P H there's A S C A C L C
1: U. Uh, I mean, I I I offhand I can't B-B-B think of a reason why.
2: Zero. Is it P
1: B? Is that the same? No, no, no. 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 It would be marked acidity or 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 pH. Would it be another
2: another letter besides acidity? A what? A something? A S? No. No. Because all the analysis is marked, uh it's all zero. Whatever. It's all zero. All those letters i said a s c a c o c u oh I m g n o t
1: i i can't think of any reason why why you would need any kind of special water for I know. for cats i i think it's a it's a marketing gimmick i mean i there there may be conditions in cats that that uh, uh, affect their urine and and may require some sort of a medical treatment by a vet. But I can't think of any reason why you would want to give special water routinely to cats.
2: Well, that's exactly what I was thinking, too. I said, what is this? I'm anxious to talk to Dr. Joe, see what
3: he thinks.
1: Okay, well, I'm sure that we have some vets listening to this, and maybe we're missing something here. I doubt it. But uh, if any vet uh, can give us some insight into this, we'd be happy to hear about it. Thanks very much. Okay. Also, um, uh, I think uh, my lad has a question. Hi. Yes. Yes, Dr. sir.
4: Joe, uh, lycopene is known to be a powerful antioxidant.
1: It is. Air- this is true. Airline
4: pilots are uh, recommended to to increase their intake of it to counter the effect of radiation. Any truth to this?
1: uh in theory, yes, uh, because uh, radiation can produce uh, free radicals. In fact, that's the way it works, right? With radiation, you want to destroy some tissue, and you do that by, by exposing the tissue to free radicals that form in response to radiation. So while in theory it may be true that lycopene can counter that, it's not something you would want to do in that particular case because you're looking for free radicals that are produced by radiation. Right. But but otherwise, uh, I, I think consumption of lycopene is a good thing to do, uh, because it is just a you know general antioxidant. There are all kinds of stories about it uh, being helpful in prostate disease, but you know none, none of that is really all that well documented. But in theory, it should be. But not not when you're undergoing treatment.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All
1: right. Thanks very much. Okay, let's go to uh, uh, Jacob and see if Jacob has an answer to my question. Hey, Jacob.
4: Yes, hello, uh, Professor. Uh, so uh, I think the answer is those, uh, those rather fragrant ketones. When you, when you eat asparagus, your urine has a, a rather pungent odor, which is not the case. I mean, for some people, I guess maybe that's what he was looking for.
1: Well, I, but why Siamese twins? I mean, that's the, well, wow, because
4: you, he, he wanted to check maybe it, it would appear in one twin and not the other.
1: Very good. That's exactly what he was trying to do. He wanted to see if they had a, you know, some sort of shared system. Right. And uh, it turned out that when they, when he gave the asparagus to Chang, only Chang peed asparagus, uh, scent. So they had the, the other one didn't, but the, it's a, it's a very interesting situation because, um, uh, uh, this is genetically determined. And some people have the gene whereby they can smell it, and some have the gene by which they can produce it. Uh, so it's it's very interesting that in the case of 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 these twins, only one of them was able to uh, to produce it. Of course, it it means that uh, you know they weren't sharing a circulatory system.
4: Can I can I ask you a simple question here? What's that? Well, you said one can smell it, the other can produce it. So obviously, if uh, you smell it in your urine, you're obviously producing it, right? Yes. Okay, so I mean the two go together. No, like-
1: no, some people produce it but don't smell it.
4: Oh, they don't smell it, right. 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 Does that is that indicate any kind of physiological problem? No,
1: in- no, it's just an interesting tidbit.
4: Okay, Professor. Okay,
1: thank you. thanks. Uh, what was interesting story is Chang and Eng. Uh, you know, uh, they were born in 1811 uh, and uh, eventually ended up in, in the U.S. They took on a surname called Bunker. They became farmers, but what is really fascinating about the story is that they got married. They got uh, married to, to sisters, and uh, they fathered children. How many? One of them fathered 10. The other one fathered 11 children. Now, I don't even know how to go about visualizing how this occurs, but they had a very large custom-made bed for four so obviously they all had to to uh, to sleep together, and uh, they uh, were very popular. People came from everywhere to see see them, and uh, so they fathered these large families. Uh, unfortunately, they died within thirty minutes of each other uh, one morning. Um, one of them woke up and found his brother had, had passed away, and he died 30 minutes later. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the, the cause of death was and, and you know what, what, uh, what they really shared in, in terms of, uh, of their systems. Uh, but uh, the term Siamese twins goes back to Chang and Eng because originally they were born in, in Thailand. But it was a, a British entrepreneur who brought them to, to England where they were exhibited... Although, you know, that, that kind of doesn't sound quite right that they were exhibited because, it you know, it sort of suggests that they were being taken advantage of. They weren't being taken advantage of. They they made quite a lot of money uh, by, you know, doing these stage performances of, you know, just showing how you can, in fact, live while you're tied to, to another person. I don't think that there was ever a stage performance that showed how they went about creating the Ten children by one, and the eleven children by the uh, by the other. Uh, today, of course, uh, in many cases, uh, Siamese uh, twins or conjoined twins, as they are now should be called, uh, can be surgically separated. And uh, there have been some fascinating stories, fascinating you know operations, where even ones who were joined in the head were eventually uh, separated uh, because of the cleverness of uh, of surgeons. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show, CJAD 800, Stock Radio in Montreal.
0: Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800.
1: Let's hit the lines. Mark. Hey, Mark.
3: Hi, how are you, uh, Dr. Joe?
1: Okay, what's yeah. up? I, no,
3: no, I just want to ask you a question, Dr. Joe. I'm a drummer, and uh, I notice all the drum heads are made of mylar. Yeah. Uh, how powerful is mylar? I know there's, there's different uh, thicknesses. You know, like right. you have, uh, if Remo was a company in California that makes the drum heads. Uh, there's a lot of companies. So there's Adagio and all that that make uh, drum heads. Remo have the Weather King, which is a one-ply, the Emperor, which is a two-ply. Uh, Adagio makes hydraulic heads, which is two-plies with hydraulic oil in the middle to kill the uh, residents on your drums. But I just want to know Mylar why? Well first of all
1: my, Mylar is actually DuPont's trade name okay. for for a type of polyester. It's
3: a polyester. Yeah
1: it's a polyester and it's actually the same polyester of which water bottles are made. Imagine that. Uh, and uh while I'm ag- I'm against water bottles I'm certainly <laughs> not against Mylar. <laughs> you you may have uh, seen it on other connections uh if you remember the sort of the gold wrapping on the lunar lander. Yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, that's Mylar. That's And the emergency blankets, when marathon runners finish and they're wrapped in these blankets, that's that's mylar. mylar, So it's a very, very strong polyester. It's um, uh, um, very, very thin, you know, and those blankets are very, very thin. And they hold in heat very well. And you were asking about the strength. Well, mylar is very strong, and I have good memories of this because... way back in, in uh, 1980 mm-hmm. with a, a couple of colleagues we organized a science demonstration at uh, what was then called Man in His World which was sort of a, the the spin off from Expo 67 okay. and uh, during Expo 67 there was a pavilion there which was the Bell uh, pavilion you remember that No, you know you wouldn't remember it what? but which which had the 360 degree movie in it
3: oh. I remember that. I was young, but I remember that.
1: Yeah, that was very good. Mm-hmm. So anyway, after, after um, Expo 67, when the city took uh, over this whole site, mm-hmm. uh, Bell was no longer uh, interested, and UNESCO took over that pavilion. Now, UNESCO is the scientific arm of the United Nations. Okay. And uh, they wanted some kind of scientific display, so they asked me and a couple of colleagues to to do that. And we did. There, there was a, a, a large room in there where Bell had his display, and people came out of the 360 degree movie uh, were funneled into there. Okay. But that room was now empty. Okay. Uh, but the movie was still there, so we had a captive audience, you know, who would come out of the movie into this room where we organized these uh, interesting demonstrations of, you know, usual puffs and bangs, color changes, etc. But one of the demonstrations was on polymers and we were demonstrating mylar because it is indeed such an interesting polymer and and uh, so we demonstrated its strength and we did that by giving uh, a volunteer from the audience a baseball mm-hmm. and uh, two of us would hold this very very thin mylar sheet mm-hmm. uh you know perpendicular to to the ground mm-hmm. and ask the volunteer to throw that baseball at that mylar sheet with all their might uh, and they did, and no one ever was able to, to penetrate it or to uh, to break it. Amazing. Uh, and, you know, which is really quite amazing because when you look at uh, the Mylar sheet sideways, mm-hmm. it is incredibly thin. It's thinner than a, a piece of paper. For sure. For yeah, sure. but it, yeah, it was very, very strong. And um, it was always a, a bit hair-raising, you know, when we were holding this because you were hoping that... Uh, Whoever was throwing the ball had enough control that they would hit uh, the sheet and not us.
3: For sure. You know, I'll tell you what, drumming, I mean, it's very rare you're going to crack a skin or whatever. They don't call it skins or their heads, but, the, you know, you have to really, like, slam hard. I mean, to a, Yeah. And, like, in other words, a stick would have to hit it the wrong way. Like, you know, like a. <clears throat> one great drummer was Buddy Rich. He 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 had the uh, he had Remo Kings. So I met him in person in 1982. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I was in the dressing room with him there at Plaza Desar, and I, I shook his hand. I talked to him, and uh, we chatted for about 10 minutes. A good friend of Johnny Carson. He was talking with me. Well, an amazing man, you know. Like uh, what a great drummer, and uh, that's why I had that, that too. You know, I, I, I thought all all about these things, you know. And he was an expert with that drum heads and all that, so was just But like,
1: I imagine originally these were made of animal skins. Yeah, they're calfskin. Cat skin. Yeah. Cat? No, cat. Calf. calf, okay. <laughs> no, not cat skin. <laughs>
3: cat skin, eh.
1: No, because there's such a thing as cat gut. Oh, yeah. Which isn't really cat gut. We no. just it's just called that.
3: Yeah. Anyway. Hey, thanks a lot, Doctor
1: Joe. Okay, it's thanks. Really interesting. Yeah, Mylar, very uh, interesting uh, material, and uh, yeah, I have very fond memories of that uh, adventure at the UNESCO uh, pavilion. It was one of the you know first ventures into into public and uh, interacting with the public, trying to explain some of the wonders of of, of science. And uh, I think uh, we did that for two summers, and we put through about uh, something like. Two hundred thousand uh, people each uh, each summer, and uh, even performed, believe it or not, in front of Pierre Trudeau. And Justin, Justin was uh, uh, well, I guess in uh, what what would he have been there? Six or seven years old, something like that. And uh, I have a picture actually of uh, Pierre Trudeau with Justin and uh, uh, their nanny sitting in the front row of this little theater that we had there and uh, hopefully enjoying the performance of the color changes that we did and, and, you know, the little explosions because everyone likes explosions. Anyway, uh, fond memories of that. And that eventually translated to, you know, doing public lectures, doing other uh, public demonstrations, and uh, it also resulted in this radio show. And this is, a you know, a story that I've, I've told many times. And um, one day there was a, uh, an article that appeared on page 3 of the Montreal Gazette with chemistry in the headline. And, of course, I quickly looked at that. You know, not often you see chemistry in the headline. And um, it spoke of our experiences or of our demonstration at the UNESCO Pavilion. And the writer uh, was saying that while the whole world is worried about urea formaldehyde, Uh, Here are these chemists telling the world what a wonderful product it is. Well, we weren't talking about urea formaldehyde. Uh, We were talking about polyurethane, which is a completely different material. And uh, I wrote a letter to him, and uh, he printed a very nice retraction the day after, saying that the real problem was that he had missed too many chemistry classes in high school. Well, the columnist, many of you will remember, was Ted Blackman. Who eventually became a uh, program director here at CJAD. And uh, I never let Ted uh, forget that uh, my success, if you want to call it that, here on the radio was really spawned by his uh, uh, chemical illiteracy. Because had he known that urea formaldehyde and polyurethane, Looked the same. They were both foams, but they were chemically very different. I probably would have never got the chance because uh, the day after you wrote that column, I got a call from radio station CJD here for, uh, asking if I would want to come and comment on this story, on this controversy, and uh, I did, and uh, that's how it all began. And uh, that happened way back uh, 40 years ago. So we're going to be celebrating 40 years on the air here, which is... Uh, A little bit frightening, thinking back. Okay, but uh, right now we are smack out of time. You've been listening to the Dr. Joe Show. Make sure that you check out our website, which is www.mcgill.ca, where you will also find an invitation to join us for our Big Bang 20th anniversary party for the Office for Science and Society in May. And uh, you do have to register. It's free, but we do... We need to know how many people are going to be coming. So website, mcgill.ca slash OSS. And of course, we'll be back with you same time, same station right here. I'm George Schwartz, hoping that all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.